are a lot of people who are unhappy at work. And we know that at least some of their suffering is caused by the fact that the workplace doesn't always feel like a safe place. When people don't feel safe, they become guarded. And when people get guarded, they disconnect from each other. Disconnected people create disconnected teams, and that is really bad for business. I'm Candace Pentiato, and I lead a company called The People Side. We help companies get to the heart of human performance and improve team dynamics through an experience that we call the leadership living room. In the living room, we help teams reconnect with each other and have a better, more deeply human conversation. On this podcast, we are going to invite in business leaders, executive coaches, and leadership development experts to explore the conversations that people rarely have at work, but that impact the way people work together every single day. Welcome to the Leadership Living Room. Hey humans, welcome to the Leadership Living Room. I'm Candace Pentiato. On today's episode, we're going to be continuing the conversations we've been having around creating a more inclusive workplace. And today's conversation is about creating a more inclusive workplace for women. Early in my career, I really avoided even just suggesting that there were inequities in the workplace related to gender. I believed I could just outperform my male counterparts and it would take care of itself. I I hated the idea that my promotability or the perception of my capability to do my job would have anything to do with me being a woman. But as I got more influence and I got more engaged in coaching women, it became impossible for me to ignore the inequities that do exist. And by ignoring them, we allow them to persist. So we're going to have a conversation today to reveal some of those inequities and to also encourage her to continue pursuing the career she wants. Early on, um, I guess I was maybe like 27 years old, I got, fe- I got feedback from a male colleague that I smile too much. Now, he told me that when I'm smiling in the workplace, that it sometimes makes me seem like I'm soft, less professional, or less smart than I am. And at the time, I said, thank you. Thank you for telling me that. I didn't realize that. Um, It was behavioral, actionable feedback. And, you know, if that was the perception of me, I wanted to know about it. I wanted to be able to change it. But now I can look at that feedback and just say, that was bullshit. Um, I was working in an environment that was reserved, almost stoic, and male-dominated. And I for sure smiled more than they did. And I wasn't fitting in. And so the, the desire for me to conform to fit was something I had a choice about. And I chose to conform for a while, but guess what? My smile is a competitive advantage. It actually helps me in connecting and being approachable and relatable. It's a way that I influence in an organization is through relationships. And in fact, when it comes to emotional intelligence, emotional expression, empathy, my ability to create psychologically safe spaces, these are some of the most marketable skills that are in demand right now in the marketplace and have maybe always been. That interpersonal acumen has been a competitive advantage for me. We as women were raised to lead in a way that the world needs right now. 
In fact, we looked at some of the hottest topics in corporate America. And if you're watching us on YouTube, you can see this slide. But if you're just here on the podcast, let me just share with you some of the things that we're teaching in corporate classrooms right now that I believe fit right in to her sweet spot. Being collaborative and leading alongside of people instead of over them is a hallmark of a successful leader right now. Being connected and networked and influencing through relationships we're teaching people how to do that every day. Uh, demonstrating empathy and creating psychological safety and delivering results despite uncertainty and thriving under pressure. Women are masterful multitaskers. They're able to handle demands from many different sources and process them and organize things and communicate with clarity and connection. So why is it? That when this should be the time that women would be flourishing and thriving in the workplace and, and we should be able to lean into these feminine advantages, women are not thriving and rising. In fact, many women are tapping out before they reach their full potential. This coronavirus may actually be, you know, people are writing about this right now, the death of the working mom. I want us to not just think about what women need to overcome in terms of internal and external barriers, but also for those of you who are our male listeners, you know, God bless you for clicking on a podcast called Women at Work. Um, we need you to see those inequities too and help us in addressing the, that disparity that exists. Um, I believe that there are things that we have to overcome on our journey to having it all. And we need men there to help us appreciate why it's one thing to set a metric to say that you want more parity and equity and representation of women in your workplace. And quite another to create a culture where she can thrive. You will not retain diversity if you don't address inequity. I'm gonna say that again. You will not retain diversity if you do not address inequity. So this conversation is meant to help us surface the inequities that are there so that we can overcome those barriers and help her thrive. Joining me to have this conversation is Joe Saxton. Joe is a podcaster, an author, a main stage speaker who focuses on helping organizations and women in her private coaching practice Think about how, how can we better support females in leadership. I'm also going to have Claire Williams, who is one of my client partners at the People Side, come in and help us frame out, using her expertise and her experience, what might help a woman overcome some of those internal barriers that she faces. So I just think this is going to be a great conversation. I hope you stay with us and that we are able to um, have some juicy dialogue around women at work. Ready? <laughs> okay. Joe, thank you so much for joining us in the leadership living room. And Claire, it's always so good to have you back here. I am excited about this conversation. Me too. And mm -hmm. I know that you are a very busy lady because, my gosh, Joe, I mean, between the podcast, a brand new book, speaking, um, coaching, helping organizations, and 
creating more uh, inclusive environments for women. I mean, and raising two little girls. I mean, how are you even here right now? Well, the girls have got older. Yeah. That, that, so that helps. Yes. Also, because of all those things, sometimes it's nice to come away and have some adult conversation. Oh, perfect. <laughs> perfect. Well, we're so excited that you are on vacation with us right now from all, well, thank of, you. all of that busy mm-hmm. life stuff that you have going on. Um, Joe, I read your book, Ready to Rise, which I have here in the mm-hmm. podcast studio with me today. And we'll be definitely focusing on this and the conversations in here. Um, this really was a wholehearted conversation between you and your girlfriends and also just the culmination of what I feel like is just a calling that you have right mm-hmm. now in your life to um, do a better job of revealing the things that are happening to women that might prevent her from stepping into her power as a leader, whether it's you know what we do to ourselves or what's happening in the world around her um, that can really discourage and derail their careers. Yeah. How did you come to focus on this as a topic? I think so many of our stories begin with our own story, don't they? So many of our our career choices, mm-hmm. our kind of pivots and things. And I think there were two key things growing up that I was struck by. I was I I grew up in London mm-hmm. um in the inner city and I'm of Nigerian descent. And so my parents and my aunts and all the others all emigrated in the 60s. And I just saw a generation of very talented, very strong, but very frustrated women. Yeah. Women who could have done so much were they given the opportunity and were they not underestimated I'd watch sometimes my um my my mum would take me to a doctor's appointment and I'd watch the doctor talk to her slowly and loudly even though my mum headed up a ward in a local hospital yeah um I'd watch them see if she understood things even though um English is Nigeria's first language and so she'd been speaking it fluently for years and then watch their demeanor slightly change when they realized she knew exactly what they were talking about and seeing these women who were raising their kids, raising their extended family in Nigeria as well. So sending money back whilst someone having some side business, normally selling Italian lace. I don't know why, but it was just just a thing or Italian shoes Um, whilst raising kids, whilst falling in and out of love, whilst Mm. doing all of these things and thinking their pathway was never clear yeah. It 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 wasn't easy and it wasn't accessible. Yeah. Like the and I so I think that was one of the things that struck me when I when I looked at the women in our in and around our family. Yeah. And then I think even my own growing up um and I remember my aunt warning me that this would be the case the underestimation of in in classroom environments in work environments and yeah. the expect and the talking above you or expecting you to be taking notes and that being the default position again and again and again and thinking okay this is not how this is meant to roll. And mm-hmm. and then as I as I grew older, you have your own personal response to those things and how you function. But coming into different spaces, both in England and later than when moving to the States and seeing it again and again played out yeah. in the women around me, the women I worked with, the women in my own family as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the idea of you taking on this issue has resonated with so many mm-hmm. people. You, This isn't the first book you've written yeah. about this topic. And so it really is something that you have invested yourself in. And I'm excited to continue to learn what you learned in the process of writing this book. Um, Claire, you and I are interested in this work and feel a certain calling on us mm-hmm. as well. Why Why is the people side interested in having a conversation about women in leadership? Well, 
we talk to a lot of women in leadership and we we hold up the statistics and I have some with me and I'll share them with everyone in a minute, but we hold up the statistics to the stories that we're hearing yeah. and it just paints such a compelling picture of an issue that while yes, we've made progress on yeah. is very much uh, still with us and still a part of women's day to day. And it's layered, it's nuanced. And I'm excited to have this conversation because I think we're going to get into some of those nuances. Um, but, I, you know, we just see a lot of women um, starting off strong in their careers or mm. even in their education. And then like, there's this little trickle, this trickle away as they move further into, um, you know, married life or having kids or even, you know, even, you know, some other circumstances that they might choose for their lives. Nonetheless, there are just the, the pressures of the workplace plus, plus the pressures of, of home are just, it's kind of a, a deadly combo yeah. for yeah. women yeah. advancing their careers in the ways that maybe when they were 20, 25, they thought they might want to. Yeah. So, uh, so that's a passion point for sure. Um, and I can just share a few statistics for our listeners yeah, to help sure. ground the conversation a little bit. So when I talked about how women start off strong in terms of education, mm -hmm. there's a statistic that says 57% of college graduates uh, are women and 63% of master's degree holders yeah. are women. Yeah. So, I mean, you would, you would expect that if someone early on is that invested in educating themselves and setting themselves up to do big things and make big contributions that those numbers might continue. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what we see, you know, down the road is so women are 47% of the workforce. So even just in the workforce, they're underrepresented compared yeah. to what they are in education. But then you start to look at leadership ranks, 29% mm. of senior leaders yeah. are women. Yeah. I mean, less than a third of people in those senior positions are women. Yeah. Um, and when you get really high up, like in, into the C-suite, yeah. C-level, um, 33 of the Fortune 500 are, are female CEOs yeah, and the rest are male CEOs. It's just such a tiny, it's five or 6%. It's such a tiny yeah. percentage. Um, so the, the numbers don't lie. And I yeah. think, you know, the, the conversations that we have with women um, tell a compelling story as well. I, you know, there's this other thing that I'm hoping we'll talk about today too, that, that we're passionate about at the people side, which is the feminine advantage. And what that's getting at is that there are um, traits that are traditionally identified as feminine traits, leadership styles that are traditionally identified as feminine. And then there are some that are traditionally identified as masculine. Um, so for instance, like a, a, a female leader might be more likely to be helpful, um, be cooperative, be others oriented, be introspective, yeah. um, to be empathetic, to be in touch with her feelings and the feelings of others. Whereas um, a traditionally masculine leader might be more of a driver and uh, an achiever and goal oriented and tactical and planning and logic. And this isn't a competition about which is the better leadership style. Those are right. actually yeah. a, a combination of traits that taken together make for amazing leadership. Yeah. And yet yeah. we tend to see that that masculine leadership traits tend to be overvalued, whereas feminine leadership traits tend to be undervalued in both men and women. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so what good. we would love to see is not just empowering women to own the advantage of some of those feminine leadership traits, but men being willing to balance out their leadership style as well and take mm -hmm. on some of those traits. Yeah. Um, I just think we have a better, we have better workplaces when we can uh, encompass the full picture and of what leadership. Both of those energies are in the room. Mm -hmm. We make better decisions and yeah. we operate better mm -hmm. as an organization. So you're right. It's not about better than we certainly don't want any men listening to this to start to feel defensive or feel called out in a way that, is unworthy of being called out, but it is to just recognize that both energies are necessary yeah. um, for companies to perform. Yeah. 
in your when you were writing this book, Joe, is it is it true, based upon what you found out, that there is an inequity in her workplace, her experience of the workplace? You know, is is this true that there's a difference between those experiences at work? Oh, abs- absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm, and I. A lot of the leaders I'd worked with were in, working in nonprofit spaces, others in entrepreneurship or in corporate spaces. But the stories, the stories that you'd hear. I remember one woman, um, and she, I know she won't mind because she's let me say, say this publicly before. She, she described going for a job, a promotion in a nonprofit. And, um, and this was actually a faith-based nonprofit, which will make what I'm about to say even more horrifying um, <laughs> on one level. Um, but she, she went to the interview and she was prepared for the interview. Yeah. And then um, at some point, the interviewer stopped and said, I just want you to know, you're not going to get this job. Mm. Um, you're not actually qualified for this job um, that you're applying for. He said, I'm not actually convinced you're qualified for the job you're going for now, um, the, the job you're in now. You're here because you're eye candy. And the older guys like to have you around. That's it. And on so many levels, on just how rude, right? Um, just how is that? Is that what we call feedback nowadays? Right, right. <laughs> is, you know, normally in a healthy interview, when someone's not a fit for the job, they might say, "Well, your skills are better fit," or why. But to say simply something which is purely objectifying, and that was the last word of the interview. Yeah. To a young woman who has graduated, got her degrees, stepping out in her career. I mean, it took her out for years. Yeah. It took her out for it's years. Crushing. So when I met her in a coaching context, it was no surprise that her thing was, "I need to find my voice again." Yeah. Because she had been crushed by those situations. And the sad thing is, when I tell those stories, I'll be in a room where other women will be, it wasn't those exact words, but, right. or it wasn't that exact experience, but mm-hmm. again and again and again, yeah. where um, where words or expectations, um, one woman said, she said, look, I love, I, I, I know I need to network and get better, but what do you do when the networking is happening at the strip club? Mm. She said, I'm trying to progress on Wall Street like everybody else, but the networking's at the strip club. I have a seven-year-old daughter. And she goes, I'm a woman. (laughs) Yeah. And she said, how many messages are we communicating here? And so, and I think not thinking of the cost of what those things are to somebody, to someone's experience, to someone's training, development. I mean, effectively, they just want to do their jobs. Yeah, that's right. You know, some people might, hear those examples mm-hmm. and want to say, those are extraordinary mm-hmm. examples. Yeah. That's not happening every day in my company. I don't think yeah. we act like that. But I think that there's also just these, maybe even micro inequities oh, yeah. that are like, those are, those are obvious yeah. problems that are, that are potentially happening. But there's also like these micro inequities that make her workplace different. When we talk in our coaching with female executives, mm-hmm. like how ambitious are you okay with her being? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Self-promoting. How assertive can she be? And that has and that intersects as well with particular ethnicities as well. Can can a black woman be angry in your presence? Right. Or angry about some about someone taking the credit for her work? Or will you hear about someone taking the credit for her work or will you see an angry black woman? And what cultural trope does that play into? Can an Asian woman be angry in your presence? Yeah. Can a blonde woman be angry in your presence? Mm -hmm. Or do does it play yeah. into it? Can a mother of young children be angry in your presence? Or is she just tired? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How feminine are we okay with her yeah. being? How friendly yeah. 
are we okay with her being right? There's just this, this line she toes, I feel like yeah. in the, her workplace where it says, we are okay with you here. And you're either too little of that or too, too much, much of yeah, that. And there's just this sweet spot that you're going to have to figure out by working here with us. And we're yeah. going to gradually work you into some, something we're comfortable with. And the goalposts can change on any given team. And by person. And by person. Yeah. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. And, it, and it's different than what he may be experiencing at work. Yeah. That line just might be broader for what's expected. And there have been studies, haven't there? I can't remember what book I read it. And it might have been in Lean In where they had the, the identical resumes. Yes. The identical yeah. resumes. And, um, and they were offered to the, these, um, this class to say, what do you make of these people? And he was dynamic and assertive and a go-getter. She was kind of cold, actually. And I'm not sure I want to work for her. And the only thing that had been changed was the name. Was the name on the was resume. Was the name on the resume. That's all, that, that's all there was. Everything else was identical. Yeah. And so what does it say about the unconscious biases that we're, we're living with? That we, that we might even, if we checked ourselves, we'd be like, actually, I didn't even realize I thought like that. Mm -hmm. but, right. but actually have implications for progress, for performance, for um, the course of a woman's career. Yeah, absolutely. Claire, I'm looking at you and thinking, what are you thinking right now? <laughs> well, I, I, I'm just now I was actually thinking about a podcast I listened to yesterday on a drive from Brene Brown, um, where she told a story about in the midst of this season in her career where she was um, totally enmeshed in women's advocacy mm -hmm. and um, female scholarship. And she was teaching mm -hmm. a class on it that she was flying home from a, a, a conference or something. And uh, uh, the, the co-pilot came out of the cockpit um, before the plane took off. And she's like, yeah, that's awesome that there's a female co-pilot. And then um, the, the, the pilot came out of the cockpit. And Brene Brown was like, oh, Lord, like somebody like get me off this plane. What like, am are I we going to be OK with two women driving this plane? Wow. And she's like, that was my first reaction. And I am wow. saying, where does that come from? Right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just the water mm. that we swim in. And it's true with mm -hmm. so many other biases as mm -hmm. well. Um, but it's not it's not just men that hold those biases against yeah. women. It, women, yeah. we hold them we against hold them. ourselves. I don't know how many times I've heard women say, I would rather report to a woman than a man. And when you say why, it what they start to repeat back to me are how she's so different in her leadership style than men that she's worked for. And I think that that is a propensity that we have maybe mm -hmm. as women as to say this kind of style, this really direct and assertive yeah. style. And I don't know, less emotional style yeah. might be a, something I'm more comfortable with and yeah. more used to. And so you do find, you know, I, I get women together at the end of some of my classes and have, I get, I teach executive women, mm -hmm. frankly, more often than not. And so they're powerful women. Yeah. They've done, made all the trade-offs and all the sacrifices to get where they are. And we sit them in a circle and we ask them about being a woman in that organization and what's the culture for women in your organization. And what's fascinating is how many of them don't talk about it or don't even recognize the trade-offs that they've Amen. made themselves as human beings to have that seat at the table. They have gone through the assimilation process where yeah. the, the, the funnel narrows and says women like this get through it. And they've become that to get through the funnel into the C-suite of the organization. And I, 
what I found, and I don't know if you found this in the in the woman that you've co coached, is so often that wasn't even a conscious choice every step mm. along the way. It's, right. You know, it wasn't like I um I don't want to be like other women or anything, but it's more been, you know what, I have an aging parent and yeah. they're gonna need some extra help. Mm -hmm. And I've worked very hard and I want to make good steps for my career and and in a way that I can support my family better. Yeah. In a healthier way. And so another trade-off. And they these and it's like a thousand cuts to the heart. Yeah. yeah. A thousand cuts to the identity until you look back and see that you didn't create a culture doing that either. Or right. that which helped other people come through necessarily. But that this is just where you are now. That's where we this are. This is now. where you are now. And yeah. you have achieved and you have gone a long way. And it and it is something to be proud of. Yeah. And yet there's this wistfulness mm -hmm. yeah. in some of the leaders I've met as well of and and now I'm seeing the cost also. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Linda Gates wrote an amazing article about her working for her dad's work in her dad's workplace, something mm -hmm. like that. So I'd like to ask women, like, what would your workplace look like if you designed it for women? Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that yeah. women just kind of sit back and go, it's almost unimaginable. Gosh. It's almost unimaginable. Yeah. Don't play with my heart. Yeah. <laughs> and now look at what the workplace is evolving into. It's not going to be about a space and a place. It becomes like a, almost like a seamless barrier between yeah. work and life. And so how would she design the workplace in this reality when she's home? Right. Mm -hmm. I think that that's a really interesting conversation for her to consider. Yeah. What does work, the workplace look like for her now? Yeah. You know, another thing I think is worth putting in the space is we were talking a minute ago about um, when there's a an expectation of what good looks like and you know that what comes most naturally to you um, or, or just who you who who you identify as, whether that's yeah. you know a category like gender or race or ethnicity, that when there's a mis a perceived mismatch or a real mismatch between what's expected and who you are, there's an energy tax. Yes. It goes along Ooh, with that. That's so good. That's yes. so good. Like, and it's unconscious a lot of times. Yeah. Like, it's like you were saying, it's not like you notice every step of the way. Like, okay, well, I had to, um, you know, in some contexts, they call it code switching, yeah. right? And, um, and, it, and it certainly happens in a racial context. I think it probably happens to some extent in, in, in gender as well, that there is a, um, an unconscious or mm -hmm. conscious modification of behavior mm -hmm. that, that requires effort and energy and that energy could be better spent actually leading. <laughs> right. Actually contributing yeah. instead yes. of managing impressions and behavior to try to fit an acceptable mold, if you will. Yeah. Can so. you give us a really specific example of a kind of energy that is requiring women to, like a lot of women might identify with? Mm -hmm. Here, I'll prompt you with something I'm thinking about. Yeah. I'm a mom. Yeah. That's mm -hmm. who I am. Yeah. Right. I'm a mom. And to what extent can I act like be yeah. my mom in my momness yeah. right at work right yeah well even like coming in coming in on a on a Wednesday like today and and you know deciding do I tell my team that my kid's in the hospital or not or that like I spent yeah. the night in the ER last night that's happened to my family three times in the last two weeks actually that we spent the night in the ER and and there's this question of like how open should I be mm. about that or are people going to assume that I'm I'm tired um that you know I'm not really mentally present in this meeting because I'm probably thinking about what's going on at home um and I I do think that there is an assumption that that women um have a harder time 
yeah. letting go of those things when they yeah. come to the workplace, that there's yeah. um, less of a, less of a, um, uh, that there's more of a barrier, I guess, between work self and, and home self or, or less of a barrier for women, I should say, and, um, and more of one for men. And so there's just this assumption that like, maybe men can cut that off and they're fine and they're here, but women like half their brain is with their kids or yeah. in this yeah. other space in their life. Um, and I think unconsciously we as women are aware that there may be that assumption. And so we're putting this effort and energy, whether we realize it or not yeah. into making these decisions, like, should I just be honest about what's going on in my life right yeah. now? Or yeah. should I keep it separate? So no one's worried that I'm checked out. Yeah. Let's talk about barriers. Cause I think there's yeah. internal barriers. Yeah. For sure, that she is putting upon herself. And then there's mm. just external barriers, right? The environment, yeah, our absolutely. society, our conditioning, right? That are working potentially in in supporting mm. the inequities that we see right now. So what are some of those barriers, Joe, that you think external barriers that need to be addressed for any of this to change? I think, I mean... If I'm thinking, I, when I think external, I think immediately of pay equity. Mm -hmm. And I think of, I, I think that thing of, oh, again, I'm from a country where maternity leave is a thing. Mm. And what, and all, now the pay equity is still an issue in the UK um, for women and, uh, and across ethnicities. But I think the difference maternity leave makes um, yeah. is phenomenal. It just, it, the course mm -hmm. of a career is one of my close friends. She adopted, um, she's a single woman, recently adopted a, a seven month old and she is reshaping her life, but she has time. She has time. She yeah. has built a career faithfully and, and wonderfully over the past 20 years, but she has time now. Yeah. That's afforded her. Yeah. And it's not seen as a less committed to the cause, less committed to the workplace, less passionate, less ambitious, because this is also a part of her life. Yeah. So I think um, the package for women in terms of um, the reality of having children or adopting children yeah. or fostering children is one part. Um, and I, and I, if you do the work, you should get the pay. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it seems embarrassing to even say, can we just mention the obvious thing that women, that white women are getting 77 cents on the dollar, Asian women, 80 cents, African-American or black women getting 60 something, mm -hmm. Latina or indigenous women getting less still. Mm -hmm. I think that's somewhere in the fifties. Yeah. I'm like, come on guys. Yeah. Even Quality. among women, you see even this disparity. See yes. disparity. I'm like, it's awkward. Yes. But it's also the difference between in generational wealth, in terms of kids going to college, in terms of well-being and what you um and how you show up to work. Yeah. And how you show up with your ambitions. And or, and these are external barriers which that one seems particularly unnecessary when when those studies are done on people doing the same work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay, can I throw in what a devil's advocate would say about that? Because mm -hmm. I've, I've very yeah. much heard the yeah. devil's advocate argument to this from yes. someone in my family, actually, mm -hmm. that would say, well, yes, there may be pay inequity, but a lot of that is because women are less likely to ask. I think, I mean, I, and I do think some of that is true, but mm -hmm. then I think there is the question of, of are you okay exploiting them? Yeah. Are you, I, I think there is a, there is a, I, I'm sure that all of us yeah. have coached women on negotiating their pay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean, it's just like, we're going to talk about money, sis. Yep. Is, and, yeah. And, yeah. We're going to talk about money. Yeah. We're going to, yeah. we're going to say, this yeah. is how you go in all of these right. things. But I do think at the same time, there is a question for us is, so you're okay with exploiting them right? yeah. because they didn't ask you're, right. you're good with that. Yeah, you're good powerful. with the generational impact you're having on your community. Mm -hmm. You're good about exploiting black women. 
are we mm -hmm. oh, is that what we do now right. yeah. we're good with it we're good with exploiting latina with women it, so. because you can you're you're okay with the slap on the back you're doing to systemic injustice right right, right. is that is right. that who we've become yeah right do you know what i mean i, think I totally a, agree we uh, do agree with you, <laughs> do you know what I mean? yes. it's a fascinating yeah. it's a fa because I, I too have heard the same thing yeah. saying well they should just ask i'm like well you should just do the right things right and yeah. the fact that women are less likely to ask is exactly why we're having this conversation because yes. <laughs> yes. there are certain behaviors and attributes yeah. that women are told mm, no good yeah. no good if you're too aggressive or yeah. greedy or assertive yeah um whereas in a in a male those are accepted or yeah. even valued traits yeah um so I, I think there's it's the very fact that they aren't asking is a gender inequity yeah, yeah. It's, in it's indicative of something yeah. isn't it yeah it yeah. really is it tells yeah. a story in itself. Right. Absolutely. So pay equity is one external mm -hmm. barrier. What's another one that was worthy of note? I think the other uh, external barrier I think is, and I and I think Claire touched on some of it, the mental load mm -hmm. in terms of, and, and I think this is one of those subtle kind of, it's understandable, but has massive implications. When I think of, my kids are teenagers now, but when I think of, there was a point when my children were little, when my husband and I sat down and he said, I basically need to know everything you do around the house. I need to know because in the end, and, it, and I was struck by the fact, I thought, oh, chose well. And, <laughs> but I thought, he said, in the end, your journey will be determined on how much time you have to do these things or our journey will be determined. So if otherwise, do we default because you're a woman to you cooking? Do we default towards you cleaning? Do we default to you caring, you being childcare? Yeah. Do we default to when a parent is sick, you're the one who does this thing? Yeah. And, and in time, Initially, those conversations when the kids are young, I'll just get them. Yeah. I'll, I'll just, I'll just do it. Don't worry, it's quicker. Mm -hmm. But actually, what that, that what that does in terms of tiredness, what that, what that does in terms of limited capacity for creativity, what that does when you are both parents and you both can, you know, what I mean, if it's a We're capable uh, equally, yep. capable equally. I have seen, I've watched people over the course of years, yeah. and when they said, "I'm so frustrated," I thought, actually, that decision may have been made ten years ago. When you first right. got used to not having that conversation. Yeah. And when you didn't read, you didn't sit down and say, you know, actually I am managing this department, but I'm also managing each child's school schedule and I, and, yeah. and play dates and family things. And, and the default is always me. Yeah. And before you know it, the barrier is erected. Yeah. Yep. And, and we're used to not talking about it yeah. rather than saying, well, we had a conversation. Well, you, I mean, these kids change every three weeks. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, they change all the right, time. Right. Um, and, and actually this one, a one, this isn't a one and done conversation. No, this is a, this is an ongoing conversation you have in your household, whoever your household is. Yes, absolutely. Who, whoever comprises your household, mm -hmm. it's an ongoing conversation. And when it isn't, um, in time, I've seen that erect a barrier. Yeah. Um, we call this emotional labor. Yeah. Claire, yeah. you know, you feel passionate about this topic. I think any working mom feels passionate yeah. about this topic and this mm -hmm. conversation. And I think we can love our husbands yeah. and appreciate them and still talk about it mm -hmm. candidly. Right. Mm -hmm. Because we see it all the time. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think it's 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 not about um, in most cases, I will say, because I, I also have a wonderful husband who is a is a great involved dad and very much involved in getting things done around the house. And yet there is it, this 
issue of emotional labor, which uh, let's define that in a moment, but it is, it's just invisible, I think, to yeah. a lot of men. And so I, I think for the men who are listening, it's just get curious about it with the women in your lives mm-hmm. and women, we got to be ready to, to talk about it. And it's hard to articulate. And yeah. honestly, I feel like I'm whining when I talk about it. So yeah. it makes me avoid the conversation. But um, just to define the term emotional labor, it, it's a term that's been used in many different ways. When we're using it in this context, we're talking about the fact that um, taking on the emotional load of um, of holding space for relationships, of yeah. nurturing, of caring, of even like planning, you know, the next family dinner, or like mm-hmm. what are we going to do for the next holiday yeah. together? Yeah. Most of that falls on the the, the woman in, in the relationship um, by default. Yeah. And it, it's, it seems, it sounds small. And yet I've said to Candace, I'm like, I just, I feel like if you put all that together, like I have two kids, three and six, like I'm, I feel like I'm solely responsible for crafting the experience of childhood for my children. Yep. And it's not that my husband doesn't care and it's not that he won't get involved and help, but it just doesn't occur to him to think about the things that yeah. I, yeah. I tend to think about around what are the traditions that we want to implement? How am I going to help my, my, right. my son um, feel prepared, you know, if someone bullies him at school and yeah. like just those things that I day to day, I'm having to think about and plan for um, and line up resources for it's, it's a lot to carry. And, mm-hmm. and I even, I joke with my husband sometimes about like, I don't think you, it even crosses your mind whether our kids have been to the dentist in the mm. last six months, right? Yeah. Like yeah. I, just it, all those little what things size that shoes they what wear. Size, what size exactly. shoes they wear. <laughs> exactly. No idea. Yeah. And I yeah. think in this cultural moment, it's intensified. Yeah. Because now we're also adding school. Right. Oh my gosh. And, Joe. and whatever version of school is happening this week and whatever version of kids sports, because yeah. in this cultural moment, it's only intensifying and intensifying and intensifying yes. and how we live it out in the space uh, um, where many of us are doing it under the same roof. Yeah. Yes. So it was already a stretch. It was already overwhelming. It was already bringing people to the brink yes. of things. And so maybe they didn't negotiate pay because they, they're tired. They yeah. literally are tired. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yes. And, and there aren't easy answers and there aren't mm. easy ways to ask. But I've, I I remember one, with one conversation with my husband, I literally just said, I don't even know what to say. So I'm just going to list all the things I'm responsible for in our life. Mm-hmm. And I just, and I, at, at, when I got to number 78 of those things, wow. um, and it's not that he's not responsible no. for things, but we hadn't talked about it for a while yeah, because we'd got into our, yeah, right. our rhythms and our modes and we'd forgotten that, you know, well, now we have a kid in high school, uh, in middle school and another in elementary. It shifted everything. Yeah. And so we're not dealing with one school. We're dealing with two and two sets. Of, yeah. and, it, and it's kind of multiplied again. And so when I wrote it down, I thought I'd, I wasn't aware until I wrote it down. Mm-hmm. Let alone him be aware. How many aware. things were in my basket. It, and so I remember yeah. us going for coffee and me just saying, I just need to show you this. Yeah. And he looked and he looked and he, he looked up and, he, and, and this is someone who's been engaged right. in my life. And right. engaged and, and and doesn't see it as babysitting. Mm, he sees it yeah. as him parenting. He doesn't, you know what I mean? And, and he's not thought because they're girls that it's more the mum's job or anything like that. Yeah. But we, we looked at it and thought, we need to we need to do something about yeah. this before this does something to you. Yeah, that's uh, so good. And us by default, but it but I think these things creep on us. Yeah. Well, I loved what you said about like I can see the trajectory of your career yeah. mm-hmm. and where you're headed, and this is what will hold you back is if yeah. we don't address that inequity, which is happening maybe outside of the workplace. Yeah. But could, for sure, that inequity outside of the workplace comes into the workplace yes. with you in terms of the energy and creativity mm-hmm. and all the things you talked about, like. 
how I'm capable of showing up fully for extended periods of time or traveling for work or my ability to set my life aside and keep it outside of the bubble of the business Mm -hmm. and handle all of that off hours, it becomes increasingly hard. And I do think that this pandemic is a crisis for women. Yeah. Yeah, Um, I do. I have two little girls, one who's going to get to go to school until there's an outbreak and one who is going to be home now and has to learn at home every single day. My husband's home. I'm home. I mean, it's just like everybody's in, in the house. Yeah. And I think it's really tempting for women to want to care on their kids in crisis. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm hearing women, powerful women, really important women in their organizations, considering whether or yeah. not they yeah. should quit Same. or step back yeah. or not apply for the job or whatever it is yeah. because their family needs them now. And yeah. what could that do to the next generation of the workforce for yeah. all the women to step back? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's Set a, us back a generation, right? That's a scary thought. But mm-hmm. I think you're right in that in that place of not almost, I don't know what this is going to look like, so I'm just going to hold back for a little. Yeah. I'm just going to put put things on mm-hmm. pause. Yeah. And so that, that sense of, I'm just going to put my ambition to the side, get this settled. Right. Whatever settled means. Right. And not apply for that promotion, not... Um, push forward. Yeah. Not advocate for oneself more strongly. Yes. All right, ladies. So we've talked about that there are things happening in the systems around us, but as coaches, let's get coachy. (laughs) Okay. What's happening inside of her now? Now. Right. Like the internal barriers that we hear women throw up all the time that hold her back as a leader. Let's, let's talk about some, some themes there. Where do you start? I, 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 yeah. I was going to say, would you, who, which of us would like to talk about imposter syndrome first? Go for it, Joe. I go, mean, go, Joe. Uh, just to even begin, I, I read this fascinating book. I think it's called The Successful Thoughts. Or, no, the, no, the, something like The Internal Thoughts of Successful Women or something, and, and um, by a woman called Valerie Young. And she talked about five ways in which imposter syndrome shows up in women. And I thought, and I, first of all, I thought only five, but, but, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but she gave examples of, um, I've got to, you know, it, to, to prove that I can do this, I should be an expert. I've got to know everything before I apply for that job. Before I, I've, got, I've got to know at least 110% of what they're asking for before I show up. Or, yeah. And if, I, if I'm not an expert, then I couldn't possibly. Yeah. Um, I've got to be a soloist. I've got to have it all down, all by myself. If I can't, then I shouldn't show up. Uh, she had one about being the natural genius. Mm. Like, I've got to be already brilliant. If I've got to learn something now with everything else, I couldn't possibly be good enough. Wow. And she just get, gave her these all these different examples yeah. of the ways in which the perfectionist, um, the superhero. Yeah. And and I see it again play out. Yeah. And and it be and it's often it, I mean the studies have shown that it's often accentuated for women in leadership, particularly in an area where they don't see themselves very often. Oh, is it lonely? It's a lonely space. Yeah. And Shonda Rhimes wrote in the year of yes about being the first only different, didn't she? Mm-hmm. And and how challenging that is. And I, I had a friend of mine who um, is a transracial adoptee talking about how they encourage in that context um, a family to make sure that they have like close friends mm-hmm. with someone of the same ethnicity of the child they've adopted so that that child grows up mm-hmm. seeing themselves yeah. and knowing that they're normal and their qualities and, and all that kind of stuff. And I think the same is true for women. That when you, yeah. I mean, you, you shared the stats at the beginning about women in the C-suite. And yeah. when you don't see yourself, I mean, you can't be what you can't see, right. as they say. Well, and even what you see is the most toxic behavior 
on senior leadership teams, which is yeah. women competing with each other and yeah. undermining each other instead of supporting each other yeah. as if there's only room for one of us here in yeah. this air. Right. Right. So that's sort of a whole nother dynamic that yeah. of how we're, we're seeing this play out. But that idea of if you only knew I wouldn't have this job or if I'm not perfect. Yeah. I shouldn't have this job. Yeah. That's a real pervasive mindset among women. Yeah. And why do you think women are more prone to that than men? Men have it too. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I wonder whether it has something to do with environment as well. I, I, and, and the reason why I say that is one of the things that I'm struck by moving to the States yeah. has been over the last 15, 20 years has been asking about when America is ready for a female president. Mm. And, um, and I found it a really fascinating question for a country which is known for innovation and pioneering and all these other things. And I thought, why am I? And I and I thought, ah, oh, I grew up with a female prime minister. It didn't, at that point, it didn't matter what political affiliation. Hmm. She existed. Yeah. She yeah, existed. Yeah. And, and a queen, 60 years, existed. Mm. And I I think to see something, yeah. to, to see something to the point where you can criticise it and it not mean that no woman should ever be it again, and to right. see something where yeah. it's it's normalized right. is huge. Right. Yes. But when you don't see something, um, I think it it gives rise to second guessing. Right. Yeah. Right. There's too much ambiguity. Yeah. And yeah. as we've already established, we're all busy enough. Yeah. Right? And we don't have enough room to get curious yeah. when you've got when you just want to get it done. Yeah. That idea of just and only, I think, is from yeah. your book, right? That you talk mm. about women being the the just or the only in certain situations, and it does that. Yeah. Um, it has it has that imp influence. This itty bitty shitty committee, though, is another <laughs> thing, you guys, right? I mean, there really is line. there really is that dis self disparagement, mm -hmm. that se second guessingness, that um, diminishing voice. Yeah, you. I think you talk about the gifts she hides. Yeah, mm -hmm. right in your in your book. Uh, you know, I think that that's really something for us to think about. Like that gets in her way, yeah. almost uniquely is that inner critic. Yeah. Um, what about expecting to apologize for who you are at work? That's uncomfortable. <laughs> or just apologize. <laughs> or just apologize. Oh, constantly. Sorry. 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 Did that was, I, that was did your fault, I, but I'm sorry. Did <laughs> I interrupt you? Did I step over you? Did I? <laughs> did I walk in a room? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Right. And I think what's interesting is this demurring. Um, we actually have a visual and something that we use in our training class um, that talks about this spectrum of assertiveness, mm -hmm. um, starting with passive, yeah. being unlikely to express my wants and my needs yeah. and accommodating the feelings and the wants and the needs of others. That's passive. And then on the far extreme is aggressive where I'm only focused on my own wants and my needs and I dismiss the wants and needs of others. And that somewhere in the middle is assertive. Wow. And assertiveness is I recognize my own wants and needs and communicate those clearly to people mm. while still appreciating and having empathy for the fact that you have wants and needs as well, that that would be assertiveness. Yeah. And so I think that if we say assertiveness is when women are in boss mode. Yeah. But 
Passive is when they're in apologize mode, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. They're way over here on yeah. that thing. And then you get these women that are characterized as bitch mode, yeah. <laughs> which are over here in the assertive part, right? And I do think that women, this is another line she toes, is between boss and bitch. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, where do you place that smile just to ensure mm-hmm. that they don't get the wrong impression? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My tone of voice. Yeah. I clearly am telling you what I want, need, and expect right now. And what's the what's the what's the tone yeah. and the emotional expression I need to have so that I don't get called that B word at work when I'm doing exactly what my male counterpart yeah. is doing without a smile on his face. Yeah. And with expletives. Yeah. Yeah. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a nuance that we really need to acknowledge. She is dealing with. Yeah. Daily. Mm hmm. Yeah. So, Joe, help us. We've we've put a whole bunch of I just feel like there's a pile yeah. of issues on this table we all right have now. problems now. Yeah. <laughs> like this isn't looking very good. Oh, everybody. my gosh. OK, on that look note, at, goodbye. Look, yeah. yeah. <laughs> look at all. Look at all the reality of that. Right. Of what mm-hmm. might, she might be navigating. That yeah. is that is different from her male counterpart. What do you think needs to happen to make it better? I think there are some. I think there are some personal things that we can do. And then I think there are some external. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I think there are things that we don't have control over. And I actually come back to the women in my family at this at this moment. Mm-hmm. And I think through how they navigated their way, um, these immigrant women. And I was struck on Sunday nights. Sunday nights when my hair was being braided. Very painfully, might I add. <laughs> Auntie. Um, very painfully. And no, my head is still attached. Can yes. we just acknowledge yes. that, please? Can we? Can yeah. we, just, we were, was that unsure yeah. if that would be yeah. the outcome <laughs> at that here. one point? Still yes. here. Yes. I'm maybe here, but I'm here. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. And, but what would happen is the aunts would all gather and someone would be cooking and, and things and they would be talking things out. Talking out what was happening, talking mm. out workplace, talking out, um, and I, there I am, this seven-year-old girl eavesdropping, and then like what, like this, mm-hmm. <laughs> talking things out, explaining things, letting you know places which were safe to go to, not safe to go to, letting you know where there's a great deal here, a great deal there, letting you know how you handle raising your children together, yeah. um, celebrating each other, laughing at each other, mocking each other. There are a few who really still compete even now in their eighties, <laughs> but that's another story. <laughs> um, but but somehow there was a rising together. There was a surviving together, mm. and there was a rising together mm. in the way that they functioned. And I am struck. I'm struck by the by how much it sustained them yeah. in that time, mm-hmm. and how much it helped the whole of their lives. Are you suggesting that creating a sisterhood like that? Mm. I think it's a part of it. In a workplace is important. I think you need a village. I do. I I, I think you need a village to be a leader. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be honest, I think men need a village. Yeah. Uh, but I think often men have a village that, mm. you know, because somebody's doing other things. But yeah. we don't often call it that. Yeah. Um, I wonder what it would it would be like to consider your village of people, your village of people who you can talk it out with, who may know something you don't know, who have eyes in a place where you don't see, who can, um, who can, who can take your voice to the, to another table and advocate for you, sponsor you, who can mentor you, give advice. Um, I think I, I, I'm not saying that ruthless competition doesn't exist. I mean, we compete, but we can learn to compete clean. I mean, athletes have learned how to do that. Um, 
But but I think that there's got to be because I think the brain trust that we're missing out on through the isolation isn't helping. Mm -hmm. The brain trust of of um, not knowing the skill sets or the tools or where you found this piece or yeah. how you navigate this and the and the cost of a lack of vulnerability. Yeah. The cost of a lack of showing up saying, hey, how did you work this out with your kids while you were doing this project? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or anything you found. And and it's like, well, I have this knowledge of this app that I used. I yeah. have this contact of this. I know these things. Yeah. And I, I have it all in myself. Yeah. Well, are you going to share it? Are you going right. to let anybody right. know about it? All these things. Right. I think, I don't think that solves everything, but I think it makes yeah. it a lot less lonely. Yeah. I mean, we work with Fortune 100 companies who have women affinity groups. Yeah. And you'd think that the conversations like this were happening within yeah. those sisterhoods or those those um, gatherings of people, and yet they're not. Yeah. Um, sometimes when we will get those women together for my after-hour conversations yeah. after classes, right, and we pull them aside, they will say, I've never, ever talked about this. Never, ever yeah. have I talked about this with another woman and talked about the fact that I have people questioning if I got my job because I'm a woman or yeah. slept my way to the top mm -hmm. or all of these things. They've never said them out loud, but when they recognize that I'm not alone, there's power in that. Yeah. There's a call to action yeah. that accelerates mm -hmm. in the room to say, that's crazy and yeah. we need to change it. Yeah. If it's that's happening to me, that's happening to the young women who work yeah. for me, that's happening to the women around me that I don't even know. And I know that we have allies in, in our male leaders yeah, who would be shocked to hear this who'd conversation too. Mm -hmm. And yet I will say this, that as soon as I have a conversation and we close the door and there's mm -hmm. only women in the room, they will admit it. What's happening. And you invite one guy in and they shut down. Yes. And so I worry yes. about like, can we, I hear you and I agree that we as women need to be able to talk about what's hard and mm -hmm. what's real for us in the workplace. And yet this can't just be a sisterhood conversation. It's challenging. Because we won't change it. No, alone. we won't. Yeah. And but and I but I I too have seen that sense of the automatic self-edit that happens when a man walks in the room. Yeah. Um and I and I don't know whether there is a different it's like, I'm sorry, you can't come in the village. Now I'm whining or now I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I, and that even if you're a good guy, even if you want to hear, because mm -hmm. I see you and I see all the other times and the other expectations. I, I I think there's got to be a both and about it, but yeah. I wonder where there's still got to be some sacrosanct place, <laughs> some right. safe space. Mm -hmm. And then there's another strategy that's required for uh, whether you send out the most confident who explain it to others or whatever. Yeah. Um, because that self-editing is so intuitive. It is, isn't it? It's a self-preservation. Yeah. Yeah. Because behavior. who wants to go first and seem like the person that should be fired? Totally. Totally. Yeah. Um, any other ideas of what is going to make this better besides? You know, what occurs to me is vulnerability is yeah. um, that we have to collectively male and female come together. Mm. And just like I said earlier, just get really curious about what's yeah. true now. And sure, it's not the same thing that was true in 1950. Mm. <laughs> um, but that was not that long ago. Like no. my grandmother, it would never have occurred to her to have a career. And certainly there were people in her generation, women in her generation who did, but the default um, for her and so many of her counterparts was like, I stay home with the kids. And I think it's worth saying on this podcast, by the way, that that's an awesome choice. Yeah. <laughs> that's an amazing yeah, totally choice fair. Today to make yeah. for many women. And I think there are also many women who feel guilty if they don't make that choice even yes. today. Yeah. Um, yeah. So true. You, you can't expect that in, in a couple of generations that, 
what has been ingrained for millennia in our society and across civilizations is going to be turned on its head. And, yeah. and that is that women for the vast majority of history had a very narrow set of roles to play. And in the last few decades, we've swung the doors open. Yeah. Glass ceilings are being broken, um, but we have not arrived. No. Yeah. We haven't arrived. And, and I think as with as with the conversation that is happening right now around racial justice, like we don't get to be done. We don't get mm -hmm. to say like, well, we made progress, so that's good enough. Yeah. Right. We have to say, well, what what next? And yeah. and let's not stop um, getting curious about how to make it better until mm. we really have mm -hmm. equity. Yeah. 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 And I think the fact that like if she doesn't want if she doesn't feel comfortable having this conversation and he doesn't feel comfortable having mm -hmm. this conversation, we don't make any progress at all. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so the conversation really does have to normalize itself yeah. to talk about inequity in a yeah. way that feels normal and safe is something that the people mm -hmm. side is trying to figure out yeah. right now. And, and we're creating these team talks to help teams have what we hope will be a less defensive conversation around these topics. Yeah. Because I think as soon as you say, I used to teach sexual harassment prevention. <laughs> and such, a, such a compelling title. Such a compelling title. <laughs> I used to say I teach sexual harassment and then that's not right. Yeah. Um, prevention. <laughs> but in that conversation, when you're talking about oh. these dynamics at the end of it, the boys walk out one door, the girls walk out the other and they're afraid of each other. Yeah. And you mm -hmm. and, and, and it perpetuated disparity yeah. and oh, gosh. inclusion and the ability for me to sh to mentor you or mm -hmm. want to create a relationship with you when I'm afraid of of sexual tensions or mm -hmm. perceptions of us yeah. and being in closed doors or, you know, um, connected in that way. Yeah. And that only hurts the yeah. this idea. So I think we have to figure out safe ways to bring teams together, have conversations about what's happening now is exactly it. Mm. Um, and just notice it, just lift the veil on it yeah. and yeah. reveal what's going on so that then we can make better decisions about yeah. what we want to do about it. Yeah. You were going to say something? I was. I was struck by the men who are like, I would actually like to do something. Mm -hmm. You know, you know yeah. uh, and because I, I, I was thinking as you were saying that, I thought, well, what if the guys, I, I, there are sometimes when men would say to me, so, okay, so that's great. And I believe you. And I believe all these things you're saying. Now, what do I do? Yeah. What do you want me to do? And, um, and I think there is something really powerful in, like when people, when people talk to me in the area of race and they come to me having already read stuff themselves, I feel safer with that person. Mm -hmm. And I feel safer with that person because they have taken some initiative outside of this conversation. Yes. And so some of the things I'm going to say aren't going to drop and cause an, a huge reaction. Why? Because they've expressed and shown me, I'm not asking you to fix this for me, I'm, but I'm curious as to what you think. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering for the men who are, uh, who have influence, who are thinking, actually, yeah, I want to change this for my daughters and my wife. I want to change this because it's the right thing to do, period. Mm -hmm. um, that I would say, if someone, if you were going to have a conversation, what would you say you already know? Because I think that changes someone's expectation on how safe a conversation is. I love that. You know, what are you already reading? What's that? So you, are you aware of of the equity the finances in your workplace. Um, what are the what are the concerns you already have? Yeah. What are you advocating with, um, for without a woman having to tell you that that's a problem? Yeah. Because just because it's the right thing to do. Absolutely. Because actually, in those spaces where people are uncertain, they're less likely to edit themselves in the presence of someone who's already demonstrated. Yes. Um, what they believe in. Mm -hmm. 
I love that so much, Joe. And I think you said it so beautifully. Um, and it's the same thing that we're talking about when we talk about race right now, mm -hmm. all the people who are finally engaging in yeah. that conversation through self-education yeah. and self-awareness yeah. of their own biases their, that yeah. they bring into mm -hmm. those relationships that they yeah. may have in the workplace um, to do the same thing now for gender. So we're for sure going to provide some recommended reading, mm. some links to articles. If you are a man who's feeling motivated to yeah, educate so yourself mm -hmm. and begin an educated conversation with women mm -hmm. in your workplace, um, we'll offer that to you mm -hmm. in the show notes for this podcast mm -hmm. and make that available. And I would say too, the, the one last thing I'd love to add for any men who are listening, especially is to some of the work you can do in addition to learning and educating yourself about these issues is to get in touch with your own feminine side. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we talked earlier about that there's this whole range of leadership traits, some of which are traditionally associated with being feminine and some of which are traditionally thought of as more masculine. And yet we all we all contain capacity for all of those. Both, yeah. wow. um, and it's so not good. like we need all of them all at once in all moments. Yeah. <laughs> um, but most men have more access to max masculine traits, while most women, because of how we're socialized and, and many other reasons we could discuss, tend to have more access to some of the feminine traits. Um, and yet when they don't, right, that's when they get called a bitch, like, because actually yeah. they're just acting aggressive or assertive instead mm -hmm. of acting, um, you know, receptive and helpful. Um, so it, it, it's, I think for all of us, it's like increasing the range of what um, is okay for us to express and to be and what's okay for someone else to express and to be, mm -hmm. um, regardless of what their, their gender is. It's yeah. like all of those traits are useful traits for leaders. And make you effective. Yeah. yeah. So good. I love that. Um, I think we would be remiss to say that she needs extra development sometimes mm -hmm. to overcome oh, the barriers that she faces, which is why so many um, of our coaching clients end up being women who are yeah. seeking that development. I know yeah. you have a coaching circle yeah. that you are guiding. You have a, a, a specific coaching practice around helping women um, who are struggling with stepping into these roles. And so I think that's really important. Would you share anything more about how you're helping women in your coaching yeah. practice? Yeah, I think um, like you have tried lots of things over the years. Mm -hmm. And I, um, and then about a year ago, um, developed a digital platform. And in that particular track were women who had expressed some kind of faith in some way, but were they were in business, they were in creative, they were creatives, they were working in churches, pastors, because yeah. for some of them, it was like, not only should you not believe in God thinks so too, which was especially unhelpful. <laughs> That's really powerful. <laughs> especially unhelpful. It's like, let's just... Diminishing. Let's just, okay. Let's yes. just add some divinity to yes. the oppression. Uh, just to make it really hard. Um, divinity <laughs> to the oppression. It's just, it just makes it really rough. So we ha we meet on, we have a digital platform via, we work with my, my networks and then um, meet basically every week. And there are guests and there's mm. um, a digital platform where they can engage with one another and network. And again, it's a digital village right now. Yeah. Um, uh, as a way of connecting and growing and just remembering you're not alone on this and allowing the, the multidisciplinary nature of these different leaders to kind of sharpen you and encourage you and celebrate, celebrate you celebrate as well you. as you go. Yes. In your book, you say women hold up half the sky. Yeah. Yes. I, th right? I, can't, I think it's a, it's a proverb. I'm I maybe a Chinese proverb or a Japanese proverb, but yeah, I remember seeing that and think it was, it's one of those proverbs that gets you at a visceral level. Yeah. Just yeah. Like, yeah actually, 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 yes. Yeah. And if I'm having a hard time holding up for this guy right now, I think a coach is a great yeah. way to do that and to find your community of women who are 
maybe experiencing similar struggles, mm. really super powerful. Your book, Ready to Rise, tackling the real life issues that discourage and derail women from leading in all that they have been called to do. Um, highly recommend this book. Um, we hope that you check this book out and then the other books that we will provide to you as well. Joe, thanks for joining us in Leadership Living Room. Yeah, I have Joe. enjoyed Thank this you. conversation. I just love that this is a calling that you had on your life because your voice is just so important in this space. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And Claire, as always. Glad to be here. Glad to have you. <laughs> All right, everybody, stay deeply human, stay healthy, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us in the Leadership Living Room today. We really hope that you found this conversation to be valuable. If you want to learn more about this topic or you want to lead this conversation with your team, go check out the show notes for this episode. You can also help us reach and teach more leaders in the world by sharing and subscribing to this podcast. That way we can tell you when new episodes become available. My team is on a mission to humanize the workplace one leader at a time. So we invite you to learn more about what we're doing by visiting our website at www.thepeopleside.com.